Hello and welcome to Uncap Web3 Talks, your podcast about everything Web3. NFTs, the metaverse, DAOs, digital art, and much more. My name is Norman Wiese. I'm the founder of Uncap Collective. And on this show, I'm having in-depth conversations with interesting personalities that have a true impact on the Web3 space. I talk to founders, collectors, artists, investors, and other thought leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by David DeVore, who is co-founder of Props Labs. David is on the absolute forefront when it comes to building NFT projects and launching Web3 brands. Props is the development studio behind incredibly successful NFT projects like Deadfellas, Boss Beauties, Woodies, and many more. David and his team have built an incredible number of more than 50 projects last year, so it's fair to say they have seen the entire cycle of the market on a front row seat. We went on a deep dive into Props Labs, talked about blockchains, as an open source decentralized data store and chatted about the state of the NFT market. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hello, David. Uh, welcome on the podcast. Welcome on the show. Uh, I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, how is your morning going? Very, very good. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, uh, I'm excited as well. I think we're going to have an awesome deep dive on NFTs on the micro and the macro level. I think you're an amazing expert. You, Props Labs has worked on some outstanding projects out there. Uh, Deadfellas, Habibis, Boss Beauties, and, and so many others. Woodies, the Ultra Dow. So you guys have an incredible track record. So I'm uh, very excited to, to hear some of your thoughts here. Um, why don't we start with a little bit of an introduction of yourself, your, your background, and especially uh, what I'm curious about as, as well is how did you get into the Web3 space? Yeah, so um, David DeVore, uh, I have been sort of an entrepreneur uh, most of my life. I mean, really, I started in at, at, at you know, 18 as uh, a DJ. And at that point in my life, I was working with uh, thoroughbreds. Um, I got hired by I was always I was always super geeky, like even in high school, like I always opted for computer science over math class anytime I could take it because it was way more fun to build games and, <laughs> and, and so forth than do algebra. Um, and so in college, uh, a guy hired me to basically take thoroughbreds uh, and put them into a database and build this sort of bloodstock database for horses. So that was sort of my first product, so to say. Um, a bloodstock database for horses. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's niche. That, that sounds niche. Super, super niche. But um, so I, I kind of got the, at that point, this was, you know, 1990, um, this would have been probably 1998 or 1997. So the internet was fresh and, and, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was right there getting, getting, get, getting it and, uh, doing a lot of stuff with it. And then I had, um, sort of out of that, I'd also been a, a DJ and discovered that I could throw raves out on these horse farms where I was working that turned into a, uh, that turned into a career, um, <clears throat> eventually with, uh, a partner, called jambase.com, which out of San Francisco, and we founded a business called Fanmail, which was really uh, designed we, at that point in 1999 or 2000 or whatever. It was like, hey, every artist and promoter and record label and uh, sports team needs to database their fans and communicate with them. So uh, we had and, and, and so we partnered with another startup called Exact Target at that time. Uh, and did a white label version of their software, which we took around to, you, you know, the music industry. And I did that for about 10 years uh, and served a bunch of really fun, you know, industry clients, Live Nation AG, Sony Music, Warner Music, uh, et cetera. Uh, and then sold that business and uh, started a new business called Storyports, which is really a content, which is still alive today, is a content marketing, uh, content marketing tool uh, to help sort of non-technical uh, content creators, uh, you know, build great messaging, and it's a B two B tool, um, so B two B content creators. 
And I was, you know, sort of getting the itch after a couple of years of, of building that business. And I was really, really interested in um, this concept of distribu- distributed data, right? <clears throat> and having sort of run for, for years my head against the wall of, uh, you know, things like you know, relational SQL databases and all of the, you know, all of the problems that siloed data creates. Uh, I was really interested in this concept of networked databases. And that's what blockchain is, right? So I had, um, I'd been sort of following from early on Bitcoin, but m- not so much from a financial perspective, more from a technology perspective. Like, hey, what if databases weren't siloed? What if databases were everywhere and could be accessed? Um, What does that look like and how does it change how we build software? Um, So around the time that sort of Ethereum came around, which block, you know, but Bitcoin was interesting enough from just in terms of it being a a ledger of record and a database record, but it kind of falls short uh, pretty quickly in terms of what you can do technically with it. So at the point that this concept of um, Ethereum came around, which was, you know, uh, a database that actually had programming in it, where a line inside of the database actually had functions and could do stuff and had rules and that now we call, you know, of course, smart contracts, um, started to really get fascinated with that side of the technology. At the same time, um, an opportunity came up to join uh, a venture studio called High Alpha. High Alpha is, they sort of pioneered, um, for those who are are close to the venture space, they sort of pioneered this concept of the venture studio as opposed to an accelerator or whatnot. And they were, um, of course, becoming very interested in in this sort of Web3 space. And so I came on with them to do a a residency to help... um, begin to both expose what the technology was inside of the organization, but also help them think through what the business opportunities were with the technology, help them do uh, a bunch of analysis as well as um, some sort of market uh, development and, um, and insights and to, to, to basically help them understand what their investment thesis should be. Um, one of my longtime friends, Bob Ulrey, who was with Salesforce, so Exact Target got bought by Salesforce, and so that relationship continued all the way through, and, and still to this day, I've got a, a large, large network inside of sort of the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, <clears throat> he was as really as a as 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 a as um, you know, a nighttime thing, getting more and more interested in DAOs, um, NFTs, and what that sort of side of the space looked like. And he had joined UltraDAO, um, met up with uh, our, our a partner named Calvin, uh, named Calvin Hones, who, um, and they were the two developers. They've sort of found uh, really complementary skill sets in terms of launching the the Woody's project. Uh, which would have been a, uh, a year ago in September, October, I think. After they launched that, you know, it quickly turned into a tumbleweed of, uh, or a snowball, I should say, of other projects wanting to do stuff, you know, literally. Um, and so he and I had connected and he said, hey, we should put together a studio um, to go, you know, run these projects. There's a massive opportunity. Would you, would you like to, 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 to join? And so we, Calvin, Bob, and I, and then eventually our fourth partner, um, Kevin, uh, came together and, and formed props about, about a year ago. Um, and you know, really couldn't be more excited about what we're doing. And it's, I think out of all of the businesses that I've sort of been involved in, it's, it's the most fun. And I, I, I really think that I've got the best, better, best partners than I've ever had in my whole career and, <laughs> and, um, and just really, you know, doing fun and interesting things every day. So, wow. Wow. Uh, amazing background. And, and, and thanks so, so much for all of that context. So you're actually coming then from, I guess you have a lot of uh, background in, marketing automation, engaging people, building segments. So I, I guess you have a lot of the of the groundwork done that I think is now 
super relevant in building these communities uh, and community driven products and businesses. Um, that's that's very very cool. So there's a lot to unpack there, I guess. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit? Or why don't you give us an overview on what you guys do at Props Labs today? Uh, what your studio does, what you cover, what your offering is, how, how you work with, with clients and with projects. Uh, why, don't, why don't we start off with that, with you giving us a little bit of an overview of what you guys do today? Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate. I mean, a lot of, you know, startups are, you know, fortunate to have one technical co-founder. Um, we've got four. And all of us come from really strong enterprise web two backgrounds. Um, so, you know, Kevin was with, uh, you know, eBay, Under Armour, um, was, uh, you know, uh, stamps.com, ShipStation. Bob was with, um, you know, he's, he's been with Cheetah. He's been with Salesforce, um, branding brand. He's done a, 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 a bunch on that side. And then of course I, uh, you, you heard my background. So it gives us the ability to come into this relatively immature space and relatively immature technology and bring a lot of maturity to, um, to bear, right? So both, from a, um, both from a technical perspective, but also from a process perspective, best practice perspective, and a strategy perspective. I think that a lot of times what you have in this space is you have you know, very, very smart um, people, but relatively, especially on the, the engineering side, you know, they may be very young and just not have a whole lot of experience with pre best practices around security or scalability or, um, whereas this sort of stuff sort of comes second nature for us. Um, it's just sort of built into our DNA. Like we would never think of building a project that, um, that, hasn't been fully tested and vetted for security or hasn't been fully tested or vetted for scalability and and it's paid off so you know we've had projects where we've got bots you know trying to sniff traits early on we've got we've we've had projects where d we've been hit with denial of service attacks and and just sailed straight through um so that's that's the first thing the other the other thing i think is sort of what you alluded to is that the sort of the martech side of things, right? So we can easily put on our strategy hats and say, it, like, why are, why are we doing this, right? Is it, and how do you, is it, is it really just about the art and just about buying NFTs or is it about engagement? Is it about raising, you know, raising funds and crowdfunding? Is it about, um, is it about an ongoing membership? And so you, being able to put on the sort of the people hat perspective, and really look at the project from the perspective of strategically, well, the mean, hey, it's a means to an end. What is the end? And how do we get there um, and leverage the technology? I think one of the things that we're, uh, we're good at is, is constantly sort of saying like, well, why Web3? Like why? There's, I, th I think there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of stuff in the space where people sort of throw web three or throw a blockchain solution at it. And you're like, this was working perfectly well in web two. Why change? Right? Like why, what we, you know, we've had 20 years, 20 years of building, you know, different types of technology. There's no, and I think one of the great misconceptions in the space generally is like, oh, there's this thing called Web 2, and now there's this thing called Web 3. And people forget that there's, no, there's probably a Web 2.5. There is no, like, dividing line, and we one day all of a sudden switch over to this new technology. It's actually just like all the other technologies before it. We're building on top of the shoulders of giants, and you're missing a lot of opportunities if you're not thinking in that direction of how do you build on top of successes and on top of technology that, that previously exists and best practices that previously exist. So yeah. at this stage, we have in the past year shipped 50, it's an astonishing number, 50 projects um, of all shapes and sizes uh, including, you know, everything from sort of independent artists, uh, generatives, PFPs, 3D gaming assets, um, 
on the on the mint side, but we also are very cognizant and focused on what happens after the drop, right? And that it matters. And I think that probably the biggest, um, probably one of the biggest places that projects have blind spots is when you ask that question. And a lot, you know, if you, you're like, well, what happens after the drop? And and you know, projects sometimes will stumble around that that answer a little bit. But it's important because otherwise, if you don't really have a clear perspective on what happens after the drop, then you end up potentially looking like a rug pull, right? You promised all this stuff or you've, you know, I'm going to, you know, that we're, we're building this project because we're going to build a community to, you know, benefit X, Y, or Z, but they've not really thought through, well, how, how are you going to actually deliver on that promise? Right. And um, even if the, you know, uh, uh, you know, worst case, it can be potentially misleading. And in the best case, uh, it can be, a, you know, slow and cumbersome to actually deliver it. Uh, and so one of the things that we're also very focused on on the technical side is like, okay, well, what is, what does utility look like? How do we actually deliver utility? Um, and what do rewards look like? What do we, you know, so we tend to think of, uh, almost any project as having three cycles, right? So there's the, there's the, the launch cycle, which is sort of the, where, where minting happens, right? There's the, um, engagement cycle, which is where utility happens. And there's the reward cycle, which is where we have a ongoing um, network effect, which is really why we're in Web3, is like Web3 is such a great network effect mechanism that if you're not leveraging the three cycles, you're not really going to fulfill what the project is intended to fulfill, which is which is a far-reaching channel that um, that, that, that they wouldn't be able to, uh, that people wouldn't be able to access otherwise. So yeah. I, I think David, um, to, to, um, to maybe give some context, uh, to, to our, to our audience. Um, so super interesting insights here already. Um, coming back for a second on the, just to make it tangible and, and very clear, the types of projects that you work on, right? So yeah. you guys are a studio that co-creates, launches, builds, uh, and grows NFT projects, community-based products and projects. Is that accurate or am I, am I missing, missing something here? That, that is accurate. That's probably about, um, 75% of what we do, but we're also, you're, you know, we're quickly typewritered into, um, the other stuff. So the other stuff being, uh, sort of again on the, uh, you know, what happens after the drop, right? So that, that could take the form of, um, token gated experiences, you know, whether that, that could take the form of, um, uh, in-game assets or wearables that could take the form of, uh, uh, it could take the form of contesting that could take the form of voting that could take the form of, um, of, uh, different sorts of media. It could take the form of, Uh, loyalty and rewards and staking and fusion and, 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 and so forth. So even though, again, as we sort of think through those, those stages of, of launch, engage and reward, the launch part is really just the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, and that's the part that people see. That's the part that people get excited about because it's, it, you know, and, and partly because that's where a lot of the money happens and also because that's where sort of the art and the discovery happens. Um, at the same time, the, you know, where the actual delivery of that promise happens is all below the waterline, right? Uh, so, so, so yeah, we for sure do a lot of NFTs, but we do a lot of um, tokenization that's not NFTs, you know, reward systems through um, ERC-20s, right, that are, that are not NFTs, they're just a way of creating rewards and creating uh creating tracking systems for engagement right um and again i think that really to to think about it holistically and execute on it holistically it's got to be you got to bring more to the table than just the launch part and and i also think that um it's not hard to launch an nft i mean my you know, nine-year-old can go to OpenSea or, or any, you know, 
Rarible or, or, or any other app and, and, and have a project online this afternoon, this afternoon, right? It's sort of, that's not the magic. The, the magic is in building a community, building awareness, building engagement, building, um, you, you, building, uh, the, you know, the sort of bottom up media brands, um, that's where the magic is. And that takes a whole lot more skills than just launching an NFT. Yeah. And maybe uh, let's, um, to make that even more tangible, why don't we dive into one or two or three uh, um, projects that you that you are excited and proud of? Um, my suggestion here would be is, uh, I guess, one of your lighthouse projects and one of, uh, yeah, one of the most amazing communities in the space out there, uh, which is Deadfellas. Uh, would mm -hmm. you mind walking us through that story a little bit? How, how did that come together and, and, and what was that journey like? Yeah, so Deadfellas is, is um, amazing, uh, amazing group of people, Betty, Syke, Holly, that whole team is, is just outstanding. And, and a lot, what a lot of people don't know is that they were originally also part of UltraDAO. Um, and um, that is so they, they were also you know, one of those seeds that sprung out of UltraDAO and Psych, uh, I, I believe, helped with uh, some of the art for Woody's and whatnot. So it's a very organic relationship. Um, they have been very, very, you know, if you really look, they are good at the technology, right? And we've helped them do things, obviously things like Dead Friends, and we just helped them do their S2 drop, which is their Halloween drop where they have um uh they have uh artists who are um contributing sort of to the dead fellas uh brand um we also helped them do pixel fellas which are the 2d um uh, in-game uh um pixel assets that you can pick up and it's a, a one of one of your of your dead fella uh and then the other thing that they are doing is they also are uh working very hard on culture Right, which is important. Like, and they've been really good at tapping the uh, you know, tapping the vein of of a culture that is um, that resonates with people. Right. So that the way that that starts to show up is their amazing parties. Right. They just did a party in L.A. They did a party in New York before that. And if you go to one of their parties, you're like, wow. Like, not only are they presenting this really immersive experience. They're also um, creating a culture and incubating a culture that is inclusive, that is art focused, that is Web3 focused. They have been really very good at staying close to their roots um, of, of being a Web3 brand. And so if you go to one of their events, you'll find that the artists that are there are also Web3 artists. Even the music artists are Web3 music artists, right? Um, and that's, that's really, I think really, really fun and, and important. Um, it'll be interesting to, you know, over the, at this stage, I think they're, they're, they're repped by UTA, which is really interesting because they, it means that they are getting all kinds of new opportunities starting to roll in. And one of the things that we're seeing that's, that's interesting is, and I think that, that, one of the uh, results of sort of the hype, hype cycle around NFTs and Web3 projects over the past year is that a lot of brands uh, sat up and took notice. And so even though at this stage the, um, the market is down, the brands have realized that there's a, there's a channel here, there's a culture here, They're thinking very, very hard about how do we sort of tap into this culture? How do we, and they know, you know, for brands, it's, it's like, you know, social is not working. Paid ads are not working. I mean, the, 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 especially in, especially sort of digital natives have this whole level of, you know, banner blindness and like the, you know, the kids do not care about the brand's ads, right? What they care about is that, um, that somebody that they respect is doing something, right? So uh, the, the influence, so in, influencer models matter a lot, right? So one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting over the next sort of cycles is how the brands 
both start to emerge into the Web3 space and what sort of projects they start to bring themselves, um, but also how they start to engage with communities to interact and leverage and um, those communities as, as an influencer model to build their own brand. Um, yeah. And so that, that's going to be really interesting for, and Deadfellows, you, we've, if you keep an eye on what Deadfellows is doing, they just had, um, you know, they, they uh, and, and Boss Beauties is another one. Um, you know, Boss Beauties is doing a, a collaboration with, um, a, a collaboration with uh, Barbie uh, as, and as a way to sort of bring, you know, two brands together and draft off of each other's audiences. So. Yeah. And I, and I really like that separation or that distinguishment that you put out there. So there's on the one hand, this web three NFT native um, uh, side of things where these new brands, these new communities, um, yeah, are, arise. Uh, and then there's this other, other world, the web two or the incumbents, right. That do on the one hand partner with these brands and, and move into, and into that, Web three native space, and on the other hand, also figure out themselves. Hey, what we what can we do to our core business? What would what, what we can what can we launch on our own? Right. right. Um, trying to mm, structure this whole mm, NFT market, this whole NFT space, um, uh, a little further, maybe. So, so we've heard. Okay, there's you know incumbent brands, Web two brands that launch stuff. Um, there's those Web there's the Web three native side of things, and those two. Let's say let's call it followerships and fan bases don't necessarily overlap a lot, right? You usually don't have a lot of NFT buyers within the Instagram followers of a, of a big brand, right? And, and I guess that's it's also a challenge that we're seeing sometimes when established brands move into the space. Um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. How do you, for yourself or for props, structure that whole NFT space, right? I mean, many people um, also trying to address the mainstream and and, and the people that are kind of new to the space, many people look at NFTs as this one thing, right? They think of images and JPEGs and I can right click save, you know, why are people paying that, those crazy amounts for board apes and all that kind of stuff, right? I, I think what is lacking there is the understanding that this is basically a fundamental technology that is underlying that same as a database, and you've talked about databases for a bit, yeah. same as a database, a database, uh, you know, can enable a lot of different products and a lot of different business models. And so can NFTs, right? Do you have a, I don't know, like a structure, a landscaping uh, framework uh, um, at props that to, to maybe outline the breadth and the, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, the breadth of this whole space? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we were just having this discussion the other day, um, my partners and I, and we're in the midst of, you know, one of the things that we are, we really sort of geek out on is smart contracts. Um, and uh, on, the, on the surface, right, and if you look at a lot of projects, what they're doing is they take a smart contract, and you know, this stuff is open source, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's it, you know, somebody, so a smart engineer can take a smart contract, um, you know, copy, we call it copy pasta, right? They copy, paste it, change some stuff, and all of a sudden they, they, have, they have something that they can use. Um, the problem with that is, and, and is, is that it can sort of be locked up, right? Meaning like if at a, at a future date, you want to make a change or you want to upgrade it, or you want to add a new feature or, 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 or whatnot, it, it's stuck in, it's stuck in, 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 in space and stuck on the blockchain the way that it is. So we're, um, spending a lot of time thinking about what does, uh, this is I'm a, a kind of geeky stuff but you know what, ahead, what but, all right, you know what what does upgradability look like what does it mean to add new facets to a smart contract and you know I, we've done so many projects that the, you know, the, the question came up well you know hey have we actually potentially done 80 percent of the facets um that will ever be created on a smart contract right and the answer that you know my partner Bob gave is like, no, I don't think that we've, we've yet even touched 1%. And, he, and if you zoom out um, from the JPEGs, um, from the art 
and and you know it's important like art leads culture right so our art and and you know all of the all of the most important um uh, you know all of the most important changes to technology and culture typically begin inside of the art space because the artists are the ones who are willing to who are willing to experiment and you know figure it out and fail and 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 throw stuff at the wall so that's that's really where innovation happens but if you zoom out and you and you get rid of that where where this stuff is starting to go is this stuff is starting to um enter a space where operations start to take place so meaning that you know sometimes we think about like couldn't you potentially run a whole city's transportation system on the blockchain so imagine for a second that instead of an nft um powering a jpeg that it actually is powering lights like stop stop lights right the the actual traffic patterns that based on how the network is interacting the stoplights based on time of day and based on how other tra traffic lights in the city um in front of uh one that is further down the road is behaving can affect the one further down the road right the same is true with supply chain the same is true with with um you know with 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 healthcare so if you start to think about the the blockchain and start to imagine the possibilities and replace uh re replace the art with um with actual utility that runs all of our stuff today and if you look at it you look at supply chain which is which is a mess right now all worldwide and part of the reason i mean there's certainly very real problems just in terms of uh, just in terms of uh, the you know how quickly we manufacture stuff and so forth, but there's also like real technology problems in there, right? Meaning, and so you, you think about it, right? Um, that toothbrush that you see on Amazon, and that toothbrush that you see on uh, on 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 Walmart.com, those they look like the same toothbrush. They're actually not the same toothbrush, right? They are two different entries in two different databases in two different locations, right? And so what that means is since that those are two different, they, they are bound to always be out of sync. They're bound to always be expensive. Those databases take dozens and dozens of engineers every day just to maintain. So you sort of start to think like, well, what if that was just one toothbrush, right? That one toothbrush Everybody could look at that toothbrush from the same direction, and it's one item rather than all these separate items that are sitting in separate databases everywhere. And that is where we start that. And that's really what an NFT is, right? We can, I can go to OpenSea, uh, see the exact same record as I see on Rarible. I can, exact same record that I see on Etherscan. It's one NFT, it's one object. So now imagine that that one object again was a stoplight, right? Or imagine that one object was a, a a shipping container, or imagine that that one object was a was a cow, right? And since we're all looking at that one object, it it vastly increases our ability it, to interact with that object. It vastly increases the 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 speed at which um, the internet can take place. It reduces the amount of um, security, it reduces the amount of cost because you're not maintaining all these separate databases. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's a lot more resilient, right? Um, for, for being the actual date, the database of record or the ledger item of record. And so that's really where the power of NFTs is and lies is, is not just as a JPEG, but in how we run our in how we run fairly simple things behind the scenes that may or may not uh, you know uh, affect people's daily lives yeah you didn't exaggerate in the beginning when you said uh you are geeking out on distributed databases and you are to these data models and all that kind of stuff that's a super interesting um super interesting view um at what nfts or smart contracts or blockchains in general are going to be um Wow, if we would go down that rabbit hole, we would uh, talk talk about nothing else. But maybe do yeah. do you do you have any spontaneous 
example where you where you see an implementation or use case um, um, that is that is leveraging that type yeah. of decentral data storage and single source of truth already? For sure. I mean, you're seeing um, it's not happening today, but I think it's going to start happening more and more on you know Ethereum blockchains, right? Especially as as the costs start to go down and also L2 layers like um, like Polygon. But if you look at um, Avalanche, like you look at the mission of Avalanche and sort of the way that they're, uh, or Avalanche is a good example, I think to some extent Solana also, they certainly see this vision of being a, a utility layer and, you know, NFTs are part of it, but um, they are looking for, uh, you know, looking for partners who are willing to, 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 to build the next thing, right? So you, and, and the question starts to be not so much the technology, but more the adoption. The question, you know, so for example, like what is the municipality that is willing to put all of their, um, you know, all of their mortgage data, all like basically, you know, titling houses, right? Or titling cars um, onto the blockchain. Like th at that point, and that's probably that may be where it's where it starts to go, right? Yeah. And that may be the most effective. Uh, uh, and there are there. I know that there's um, certainly a lot of research in the area and whatnot. But I think that once you know, if you had a major city like San Francisco, who or you know their whole you know San Francisco, the whole county switched how they did um, how they how they did house titling. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be long until you see all kinds of cities start to do it, right? Because yeah. it's it's a better mousetrap. It is just like better technology. I mean, there's, and it's, when we look at it, we're sort of like, you just can't put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're so very bullish about um, this space and about the technology is because you cannot deny um Pr pr the progress of technology like now that it's there it'll never be put away right just like mobile like when once somebody unlocked you know that everybody could walk around with a device in their hands you're not going to put it back you know you're not going to all of a sudden get rid of mo mobile phones right it's there it's there forever and now you know and probably the next progression is going to be you know chips in our head right but until there's an until there's glasses a better first glasses first yeah, I mean, probably glasses first and, 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 and right and, and ar and, and and some of those sorts of things but you know you're not going to put the technology back in the bottle so uh and this is this is true with with blockchain as well yeah i i, th I really like that thought experiment i think this we could we could dive into this um maybe even before um like public organizations or or cities or whatever probably stuff like that is going to happen in gaming and, and things like that before, yeah. right? And may, maybe even, I don't know, I'm very curious and very interested to see if any incumbents and existing players are going to ever jump onto this or like Microsoft lock it out, right? With Minecraft and, for, you know, forbidding NFTs within the Minecraft ecosystem, right? And uh, it, 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 I think it's a question for me if that's going to come from the Web3 natives, right? And they're just going to... Uh, they're just going to grow and attract the consumers and then it be will become the standards standard or if actually incumbents and existing players are going to jump onto that and essentially open source their data, right? That's what we're talking about. I mean, I think the example is super powerful that you just gave here. An NFT that is launched, Dead Fellas or whatever NFT, right? There's OpenSea, there's um, looks rare, there's now blur or whatever. And those are all the same marketplaces. They launched independently from each other and they all access the same database, the same listings and items, so to speak. And they can, you know, they can tap into another's database. It's like eBay, an eBay competitor launching, um, taking all the listings, like, you know, like from day one and actually targeting through, I don't know, coupons, the existing biggest eBay customers. That's completely unthinkable in the web two world but here you have that and it's happening it's happening it, it happened at least three four five times after OpenSea got big right and i think that's uh, that, that's kind of what you're referring to and i think this is a super powerful thought experiment if you now take that same principle and apply to game items right it's mm. I, I i know about people that 
that build games and they from day one think about okay we're going to have our own in-game items it's going to be nfts you can buy them you can earn them and from day one in our strategy we will include external or third-party communities and their assets and their nfts in our game and you have exactly the same principle where somebody you know accesses i don't know a dead fella pixel um uh, character right and incorporates it in their game and you know it, i think it's just a very very interesting thought uh, uh thought experiment uh, to understand where this whole space could go yeah 100 percent um I mean, one of the things I think that gaming and brands generally should be paying a lot of attention to is that digital natives fundamentally, when I say digital natives, these are, these are, you know, now they're entering their twenties, right? They are the, um, they are the kids that grew up with a device in their hand from very early age. Um, they fundamentally think differently than us old folks do. Um, they look at value differently. They look at investment differently. They look at community differently and they look at brands differently. And if um, it, gaming is a great, great example, right? To, if gaming wants to, um, you know, so what, you know, you, you look at, the rise of open worlds. Like why are open worlds so fundamentally, um, uh, why are the open worlds, why have they exploded in terms of popularity? And one of the reasons is because, you know, the, 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 the digital natives, they don't want to interact inside of Facebook. They don't want to interact in the ways that, that we have interacted with. They want to interact in the communities that they, are in, right? And it's hard to sort of put a hard definition around what that is, you know, but once they sort of find their people and they, you know, they look at their friends who they're, you know, they friends they've never even met in real life. They don't even know what people look like, but it's their friend because they have interacted through these cycles. And so they, um, they uh, have built a community. I think the other thing is that they don't trust um, institutions. I think that, and this is a, this is sort of a postmodern, you know, philosophy around, um, you know, what, what the internet is doing. Right. But it's like, we've lost the trust in institutions. Right. So now, now it's community over institution in terms of how people trust, um, and who they trust and how they receive information. Right. So that those, those things really drive some interesting dynamics and if you go deep on the psychology of that, and I think one of the reasons why people like, you know, everybody's like, oh, PFPs are dead. I don't think so, man. PFPs are so closely tied to identity that I don't think that PFPs are going anywhere. You know, I mean, you look at, you look at Reddit, right? Why did Reddit roll, roll out avatars? Is because the smart people at Reddit realize that identity matters and if you can capture somebody's imagination with their identity, that that is that 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 creates a, a fan for life, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I, it'll be interesting to see how how these things come together. But I think that the game the games that are able to really excel are the ones who really understand the psychological underpinnings right, uh, right. of the digital natives and how they're acting and what they believe in and, and where that culture is going. So. Yeah, and I think, and I think to your PFP example, I think that's exactly, um, it's exactly the same thing of you know an NFT is not this one thing, right? I think when people say PFPs are dead, you know this whole meta, this whole trend is dead. What people actually are saying is flipping and speculating on these profile pictures for profit. That might be dead. I, I don't even think it's dead. You know, I think it's probably going to come back in one form or another. But what people are actually saying, and that's you know this very I don't know vocal vocal voices within the space that you know are betting on those PFPs and try to make profit. All those you know outsiders that are not in the Web three space at all that see that craziness of those traders and of those flippers and say, look, this is not sustainable. That's a Ponzi. It's never going to work again, right? But what you are referring to now is far beyond that flipping and trading aspect it's actually you know we're, we're talking about digital identity and again 
belonging, community, right? Who am I in this, you know, digital world? And I couldn't agree more um, for the Gen Z and maybe even more the Gen Alpha. That's that's the people that you need to look at in order to anticipate what this whole space is going to look like and where it's going to go. Not 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 us millennials and and and, and old guys, right? That's right. Yeah, for sure. Very very interesting. Um, yeah, maybe um, trying to look at the we got a little philosophical here. Maybe trying to come come back to the to the today and 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 um, let, you know, let's call it NFT market today, right? These I don't know. How, how many do we have there? One, two, three million wallets that are still buying, trading, and interacting with NFTs, right? It's not that not that many people out there. Um, how do you how do you look at that that existing space today? I mean, you you guys work with many people that want to launch new stuff. You have I'm actually impressed by the number of fifty projects under your belt where you have firsthand insights. Um, you know, kind of. Coming back to the today, how do you how do you see maybe can, can, could you recap the last 12, 18 months of the so NFT space so we can maybe try to understand where it's going to head like like you know the, the actual stuff that we have around today um, how how do you how do you look at that space today when you when you look at these existing projects out there and the fact that trading volume is down significantly and and all that stuff so how do you how do you look at that NFT space today? I mean, I think it first starts with just being realistic, right? I mean, we were coming into, you know, I mean, this time last year through, you know, April, May, uh, you know, people would buy anything. I mean, and the people who were buying anything, it's a little, you remember like Pokemon Go, um, there was a point at which everybody was walking around the city <laughs> with you know with their phone up looking for pokemon right and it was you know it was just this 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 cycle and then and then it dropped off right and you sort of look at like well who was who were the buyers at that point and um many of them were first time buyers right and many of many of them were you know looking at the space from the perspective of um you know, I would say probably 5% to 1% were actually like artists or collectors who are really collecting. The vast majority are people who are either trying it out, right? Um, or who are looking to create a profit, right? So the problem with that is it's really, really very misleading. The problem if you if you go off of that that time and space is as being the the watermark right because if you have 90 percent of buyers who are just buying to turn a profit or they see it as an investment or whatnot well then the win you know the, the market changes and they're gone they've they vanished right so you, it's, you can't really build a, a foundation upon that right um i think that the the market being down is a real opportunity Right, because it actually focuses us on the stuff that matters. Meaning that, um, and it's and it's all the same stuff. It's the same stuff that we've been doing for for twenty years. Like, how do you build a following? How do you build customers? How do you you know? Um, how do you uh, how, how do you deliver value? Like that how stuff. Revenue. How do you make revenue? How do you build a business? That stuff is real stuff, and I think that. Um, it's misleading to look at the, the the hype cycles of the past and even think that we're going to get back there. I don't think that we're, we are going to get back there. Like there is no going back. There's only going forward. Right. So really what the future holds in it's, in, you know, nobody, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but you know, a lot of what we're seeing is that, the term NFT is starting to fade. We think that's a good thing. You know, no longer are people being sold NFTs. They're being, um, you know, now they're looking like memberships. They're looking like, the, you know, we're, 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 you know, they're looking like vaults, right? They're looking digital, like digital collectibles is a new digital term, right? collectibles, right? I mean, and, and, it, you know, different organizations are sort of calling them different things. Uh, and that's probably how it should be. Right. Like an NFT for the sake of an NFT is like just flies in the face of sort of what reality, what we know about human nature and reality. It's just it's like the technology should be the technology and the value out the other end should be, you know, real value. 
Um, and we need to sort of approach NFTs as a technology that enables really interesting things. It enables a network effect that hasn't been seen before. But an NFT as an end to itself is, is I, I think, uh, just a mistake for, for anybody to try and chase. Um, and that tends to be, so we, you know, we're fortunate. I think that if we, if our only revenue was selling NFTs, we would probably be out of business, right? And there's a lot of, you know, the, the marketplaces are suffering. There's a lot of, um, you know, studios such as ours that, that have uh, that that are that are suffering. Um, okay. what, what what are your revenue streams then? If you if you might want to break them down. Yeah, so we certainly we we certainly um, there's really three. Uh, we partner with businesses on on NFT sales or or or, or, or those you know or par partner with projects to do a, a revenue share and together we'll go bring a, bring a project to market. Um, and then the other piece is, is services, right? So we're fortunate because we are technologists that we can, we can pick up, um, projects from enterprise brands who are getting into the space and they don't necessarily need to rely on the money from the sale of an NFT. They under, they can, they can look at it as an investment in innovation. They can look at it as an investment in, um, in the next cycle, they can look at it as a channel and how do they start to leverage this new channel. And the smart brands, really smart brands have innovation groups inside of them, right? Which are tasked, and these are, this is sort of the tip of the spear of that organization. They're tasked with what is the next thing, right? Like how, and we, you know, we need to understand as an organization what the next thing. So we're fortunate because that we can sort of pick up those services and we can consult with them and we can, um, and we can, we can sort of help drive those enterprise businesses forward, but it doesn't necessarily need to come from the sale of NFT. It can come from utility. It can come from gamification. It can come from other, other places that the revenue, um, happens. And then the third place is, is licensing. So we actually, almost everything that we do, we look at, I mean, we're all sort of product guys at the, at the end of the day. I mean, we've, we've, we've all sort of built products and we love building products. And when we think about a product, um, we, it's really about repeatability. It's about repeatability and efficiency, right? It does. It's, it's like, okay, if, so if we start to see a pattern we will build um, infrastructure and technology that, you know, requires less developers the next time we do it, right? Now, the way that we go about it is that we, we are not, and I don't, know, I, I don't know when or if you'll ever see from props um, like a forward-facing SaaS product, right, where anybody can come sign up. The way that we tend to think about it is a little bit more like Pixar, which is, you know, who built an, a lot of technology to really um, build, you know, to, to produce great films, you know, each film is unique, but underlying all of that, all of that character rigging and, and so forth um, inside of a Pixar, Pixar film is, is technology that they built that then they operate. So we really look at the tech that we build as, as allowing us to um, go faster, make less mistakes, be more secure, um, allow us to do it more efficiently for, for the customer. Um, and that'll, and that in turn allows us on the engineering side to really focus on innovation and thinking about, um, the next thing rather than just sort of repeating something that we've done before. Um, and so we, we do have this licensing component as well that allow that, that we can bring to bear. Um, and it, you know, and I think that, that that is not a new that's not new for a brand right i mean brands you know brands don't you know they they may use any number of tools already to help that run their business um and so so that 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 is the that's probably the third part of the revenue mm -hmm. so. oh that's that's very very interesting and do you guys plan to now you made me curious do you guys plan to um expand your capabilities and your hmm, yeah, you're, you're the scope of your work any further? Because from from what I hear here, actually, and that that you know now now you made me think about that. When you say that, I think you called it the launch cycle, the launch phase, then the engagement phase, and then the rewards phase, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
I assume that's also kind of the hierarchy of your work and your workload, right? Honestly, obviously at the, the beginning, you launch all these pro all these 50 projects. So the most of the work was in there and now you have a portfolio. Now you have a bunch of partnerships and relationships and probably holdings, I, I assume. So it's sort of incentivized still that these uh, communities and these projects thrive. Do you, do you have any plans to like in a structured, bigger way to expand it to the rewards phase? I mean, I know that um, a couple of your projects are looking, you know, you, you, you mentioned um, that fellas and their agency now, you know, to look into looking to monetize or leverage their IP, their mm -hmm. brand, you know, to whatever music, games, uh, uh, TV show. I, I have no idea. Right. Um, do you have any plans to move into deeper into the rewards phase or do you guys, you know, do you want to stay product guys and, and, you know, geeky, geeky, uh, geeky group that, you know, thinks about smart contracts. Do you, any, anything to share here? Yeah. I mean, we're, it's interesting. Like we get tapped because we've hit so many projects. We, we get tapped on, um, strategy all the time. And the other thing is nobody wants to do the same thing that somebody else did. Right. So and even if, if it, everybody sort of wants to do something unique, right? Um, and that in order to do something unique, you have to have a perspective, you know, you really have to have a perspective of, well, what's been done before, what's not been done before, what's possible with the technology. And if it's possible, is it is it a massive lift to get there? Or is it a you know small lift to get there? So um, we're really good at that. And we have, I think that, you know, we really are seeing um, as competency goes, you know, we really see ourselves really running the full studio gambit, meaning like we, we, we have a, a strong strategy piece that includes, um, and, and we sort of put it into these phases of design, build, deploy, and review, right? Any single project. Um, so we really believe that design is a super, design with a capital D is a superpower, right? And that the, the, the design um, up front and doing that thought work up front is really very important, not just on the art, but the tokenomics, the user experience, the, the utility on the back end, really looking at it from a 360 degree view of, you know, how, what, what are the goals and, and how do we help get there? Um, and then, uh, we're able to sort of pull out from our, at this stage, start able to pull out from thing, you know, projects that we've done in the past bits and pieces that fit for the new, um, you know, think of them, I guess, as components that you can, you know, sort of like Legos, you can put together assorted components to create something net new. Um, I think that as a studio, that's the way that we think. And that's the way that we operate. We have, we've got big plans going into next year uh, or into 2023. And we've got some amazing new partnerships that are emerging. Um, and we just really feel like we're just getting started. Uh, and amazing. the sky's the limit at this point. So um and then I think the other thing that we're really excited about, we're, we're really excited about, um, so when we talk about like rewards, um, those types of things, we see those as a component, right? So you could, you should be able to um, put together a project that includes multiple components. Your component may have a component of rewards or it may not, but it shouldn't necessarily need to be something that is, created from scratch to in order to engage it right because the i think part of the challenge that projects have is that some of this stuff can be super expensive i mean if you're create if you're hiring you know engineers of of our level um to do something that has never been created on the internet before it's an expensive process so part of the thing is you know how do you bring those expenses down to a place that's accessible to a startup type project to be able to, to use without having to spend an arm and a leg to, to make it happen. Right. So that's, that's part of what we're, we're after as well. Very cool. Um, before we wrap it up, um, uh, do you want to share some, 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 some more details, some more alpha, some more 
um, immediate plans for for the next year that you guys are gonna roll out? I mean, I see you guys. I think if if I if I'm not mistaken, in, increasing your efforts when it comes to community building, right? You're you do a ton of Twitter Spaces. You've you've you have this props drops initiatives where you partner with with uh, artists. I think every Friday, if I'm not mistaken, right? So <laughs> you're, you're you're collecting some more wallet addresses there as well, and then creating a holder base and all that. Um, What's coming up? What are you excited about in the, in, the, in the first two quarters of next year? Yeah, you mentioned props drops. It's really interesting. I mean, so props drops happen every Friday. Um, they happen at drops.props.app. They happen in, at noon um, Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Um, the artist That's is always... 6, 6 p.m. Central European time, just, just for our European listeners. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. And, and we, we, you know, we, we actually had a long discussion in, in terms of how we make it so that way Europe right. and the East Coast and the West Coast can all and get Asia. in on it. <laughs> Asia, oh yeah, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And the thing of it is, is it's always, it's, it's always a surprise. Um, it's always free. We don't go out and shill it. It's we've only we're only doing it for fun, um, and that was that was always the that was that was it. Like we were just like uh, we had artists there already though, right? We've had yeah, we for sure. Um, we've we've had um, oh gosh, we just had Copter Boys. We've had uh, we've, we've we've had Paper Buddha. We've had um, uh, Wax Bones. Uh, Who's, who's out of who's out of uh, England? Um, we've had uh, Topaz, and uh, I think we're on number seven right now. And we've got a laundry list of of um, other artists coming up as well. And and um, they sell out very quickly. Usually, they're um, you know we sp experiment with different types of mechanics, whether it's um, you know whether it's open edition or limited edition or generative or or whatever. Um, we try not to take it too seriously, it, meaning like we're, we've never, we never have thought of it as a way to make money. We've only thought of it as a way to do something fun. And I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily a marketing thing. I think it does serve some marketing, but we really look at, at look at it as a way to scratch our own itch and try things that people may not be asking or paying us for. But, you know, when you sort of remove the financial expectation of it, it gives you a lot of freedom, right? Like now you get to like just do art for the sake of art. You get to just try a new dynamic for the sake of a new dynamic. You get to um, – and, th and that's, that's super fun. Um, so, yeah, Props Drops is, is great. We have um, – what else? Uh, we're doing a lot these days with – uh, in-game assets. We, I think we released the first, we did a, a 3d, we did all the rigging, um, for a 3d version of your Woody in Decentraland. I and tried so, that already. That was, a, that was so fun to get together on this. Did you try it? Yeah. And so literally, you know, it doesn't cost anything. It's, it, it's sort of a utility, right? Um, and you basically can, if it, you know, connect, you connect your wallet. It looks at the Woody that you have. You put on the skin, and then you can run around to Central Land, looking looking like your Woody. And by um, the way, this is such an such an amazing and interesting. I guess you would call it component, and I guess it's going to be reusable. But I think this turning your two D PFP into a three D character. I think that's that yeah. whole thing has so much potential. It's incredible. And and then if you take it one step further. So this is what well, the, the next iteration of that starts to look like um, printable toys, right? So 3D printable toys, right? So that, and it's interesting if you get into the technology around, um, you know, a, a, around Blender and, you know, how this stuff is done, those same components that can make up arms and legs and, and so forth um, also can become the same components that get sent off printed, snapped together as a toy. There's a project that we that we're working on, which is Robo Ramen. Um, they're um, just amazing team, Berkali and those guys. Um, and if you go look at Robo Ramen, I think their website. I think it's RoboRamen.com. Let me uh, RoboRamen.xyz. We'll um, put it in the show notes. Yeah, RoboRamen.xyz. But Robo Ramen, um, you know, they are you. 
like you go look at what they're doing this is the most incredible material design you've ever seen and they these guys these guys are just like true magicians at their craft and those robo ramens will are are actually both the the um two-dimensional art as well as three-dimensional uh in-game assets as well as uh 3d principal toys right wow. and that is a that is a single pipeline end to end right wow. and that you know if you look at you know why did why did nike buy um uh, artifact artifact it it was the reason was was for the ability to customize shoes so what's coming is you will be able to have your own you know custom nikes and that is uh you know you think, think about sort of how that works from the perspective of the, sort of the design side and what you have and what you own out to the manufacturing side the only way to do that is a pipeline that creates all of it right um and so that that's exciting that's exciting stuff to play around with and think about too wow so exciting, um, David. I think we need to wrap it up at this point. Uh, that yeah. was uh, that was insightful as expected. Thanks so much for taking the time for sharing some of your your experiences, uh, sharing some some alpha and some stuff you guys are working on as well. Um, that was great, huge fun. Uh, I hope to have you on here at some point again. And uh, yeah, yeah. What one more piece of alpha is that? Um, Uh, today is uh, Habibi Gen 11 is launching uh, at four o'clock on the public sale. Um, and I don't know. Keep an eye. If you look at if, if you look for on Twitter, I would look for um, Mark the Habibi at Mark the Habibi um, and or Habibi. I think it's uh, Habibi NFT on Twitter. Um, but that is actually dropping this afternoon. I, I'm not sure if the episode is going to be out in time. Oh, but, in time. Uh, oh, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, wow. we're still gonna, we're gonna, we're still going to put in the link so people can check out the project. Um, thanks so much, David. That was really amazing and really insightful. And I'm, yeah, I'm very, very bullish on, on, on you guys and what Props Labs is doing. I think you're, you're a true hidden champion in the space. And I guess there's going to be a bright, a bright future for you guys. So thanks. Thanks. Thank uh, you. So much here. Thanks for having me on, Norman. And, um, you know, if, 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 would love to get on and, and, and run some more philosophy sometime. It was super fun. We will do for sure. Thanks, right. David. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.